Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In the Week in IndyCar series, our guests this episode, Connor Daly, the Connor Daly, a frequent and popular guest, a fine young man. And speaking of fine young men, we're also following Connor with Dakota Dickerson, someone who aims to be a Connor Daly in the near future, someone in IndyCar, obviously on a more regular basis. So we have two drivers who are hoping to be permanent additions to the IndyCar calendar. In the very near future, Connor coming off of yet another stellar performance at Gateway. Strongly recommending IndyCar. Make Gateway the single home outside of the 500. So the other 16 rounds all held at Gateway. I think we have Connor Daly, 2020 IndyCar champion, if that were the case. Thanks, as always, to our partners at Cooper Tires that make this show possible. Their support of the road to Indy has been unwavering, as is their support of this show. Truly an amazing group. Thanks to them, and thanks to a lot of things, I get to go to my first IndyCar race since having to blast home in emergency mode on May 21st. So, yeah, it's really weird to set an alarm on my phone to check into my flight in advance, uh, leaving out of here late tomorrow night, Thursday, get into Portland, and I can't wait. It's going to be weird, I have to admit. I haven't seen anybody, really, for a really long time. And this is the first time I can think of since just about forever where the entire summer has been, had to take a knee, had to, uh, had to take a pause for the entire summer during a racing season. Never happened in my adult life. So bit crazy. Also very thankful I can go do this. And thankful to Cooper Tires because they're going to be putting on a show. Uh, if I'm going to be at a track and we have the ability to put on a live podcast, well, darn it, that's what we're going to do. So if you're going to be in Portland, please come and visit with us. Have some fun. Saturday at 530, just across the bridge in the support paddock, the big, beautiful bridge at the top of the front straight. If you are in the IndyCar paddock, come on over, cross the bridge. We're just on the other side on the Cooper Tires stage where we will have our man, our good friend, Dario Franchitti. We will have the coming off of a podium at Gateway, Tony Kanon. We will have the sitting second in the championship, your winner of the Indy 500 in May, Simon Pagano. And as if that trio wasn't suspect and circumspect and all kinds of questionable enough, we're going to have Robbie Gordon just to push the psycho over the top. Hopefully he'll be flying in with one of his stadium super trucks that are competing this weekend at Portland. So Dario, TK, Simon Pagano, and Robbie Gordon. It should be a blast. I'm really hoping Robbie remembers. Uh, he said yes, so we put him on the poster. Um, that isn't a guarantee he's going to show up, but we're going to do our best. So look forward to that. Hoping we can see you there. Not only is Cooper Tires making that possible, making their stage possible, did that last year on the return of IndyCar to Portland, and I think that was the most popular live podcast we did. I, I don't know how many people were there. I can just tell you it was a lot. So I'm hoping that there's even more because of this being, for me at least, a little bit of a celebration, getting to come back to the racetrack and do what I do a little bit. Um, I know that our friends and our partners at TorontoMotorsports.com are bringing some cool little giveaways for you. So there'll be some, some goodies, a little bit of swag to give away there. 
Also have some cool stuff from our other primary partner, the Justice Brothers. So I'll have some of those goodies to give away to you. Uh, I ordered a couple things to give away as well. And also I'm hoping we will have our pals at Bell Racing Helmets USA in attendance. Just, I don't know, bringing beer, maybe hurling insults, something. So between Cooper, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell, it's going to be a little party here. In Portland, 5.30 p.m. Saturday, about an hour and a half-ish, hour and a quarter after qualifying is over for IndyCar. I think we're going to have the Indy Pro 2000 cars on track behind us, so we're just going to talk louder and have fun. So hopefully we'll get to see you there. A little live podcast fun. And then coming up in September, I should be at both pro races at Monterey, that being IMSA, and then followed by IndyCar for the season finale. So working on some live podcasts for those as well. After all that, we're going to get into our guests here, knowing that often the format of the show includes me doing Q&A. If it's not too many questions, I'll do those up front. And if there's a decent amount, those will come in at the end. Well, yet again, we've had a crazy amount. And so I've broken the Q&A off into an episode of its own. And who knows? Maybe that will just become somewhat of the norm going forward. So you have neatly packaged weekly interviews with an IndyCar star and often somebody from the road to Indy. And then your Q&A, of which I think the number is over 100 questions that have come in so far this week. Not all for me, some for our guests as well. But uh, the Q&A, the opinions and whatnot, maybe just we'll consider hosting those in a separate show of their own so you can get that in its own clean packaging as well. One or two other things to mention before we get rolling, courtesy of torontomotorsports.com. Last couple of weeks, we've been giving away little swag packs, T-shirts, stickers, beer koozies, I think, or beverage koozies if you don't drink beer. And the system for giving those away is just simply looking back on the previous episode's Q&A thread the items you send in on my Marshall Pruitt podcast Facebook page and see who gets the most likes for their questions. And this previous episode, the one last week with Santino Ferrucci, we actually have folks, two folks that are tied with the most likes. So Kyle Brown, for your question of how can Sato's onboard camera make it look like he went straight when every other camera makes it look like he turned across Rossi, I thought I could always trust video. What do I believe when I can't trust my eyes? And Simon Rafi, your question. MP, you recently said the budget for a season for one car would be 5 to $7 million. Looking back to the height of the cart and champ car period, with all the tobacco money, what sort of budgets did teams have back then? So those two questions earned the most likes. So Kyle and Simon, send me a note on whatever preferred social media platform, a DM, whatever. Get me your email addresses. We'll get you connected with torontomotorsports.com, and you can pick and choose from the variety of Week in IndyCar or MP Podcast t-shirts and whatnot that they have available to send to you for free. The one thing we're going to do for this episode with Connor is since they do at the lovely torontomotorsports.com, a Connor Daily t-shirt is they're going to do a Connor swag pack for whomever has the most likes on their questions. So if you're a fan of Connor, if you sent in a Connor question, you might encourage your friends to visit the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page and hit the like button a whole bunch on your question so you can win. Super Democratic. Um, I'll look and see what the number is. Whoever has the highest next week, well, you get it. So there you go. 
Last item or two before we get rolling with daily. Really interesting to hear how serious the Chip Ganassi Racing Team is about forming a technical alliance with someone for next season. And I don't often remember the things that I've written or the details of them as recently as a week ago. So if I've written this, I apologize. I don't know if I did, though. Uh, But there's definitely an interest on the Ganassi side, knowing that they have nothing coming down the pipeline on the sports car front to keep their Ford GT crew in action next season. There's a definite interest in finding something through a technical alliance, placing crew, mechanics, you name it, with another team to keep those good folks employed and working. I love the sound of that. It's often when we hear of a team shutting down, it's telling not just the drivers, but the mechanics, the engineers, the truck drivers, the hospitality folks, hey, sorry, we're going to be done. You need to look elsewhere to earn your living. Love the fact that while sports cars is not looking like the place right now where Ganassi can keep his sports car team, they have told the drivers there, you do need to go find something else. And they are looking actively. But they have and are trying desperately to keep the fine crew, many of them ex-IndyCar folks, by the way, including Brad Goldberg, uh, Charlie Kimball's former race engineer, trying to keep the crew together and find them homes with partner teams in IndyCar. So love that. Really love the effort being expended here. Another thing that's interesting, and this is based on something we've been hearing about for a while now, and if you listen to our episode a couple weeks ago with Craig Hampson on the Week in IndyCar, whose episode, by the way, since we're getting here to the very end of August, fun looking at the metrics, that's the most popular episode of the month, period, across anybody. I love the fact that a IndyCar engineer is actually attracting the most traffic compared to a name driver or something like that. So that tells me that y'all are especially awesome because you know quality when you hear it. And uh, that is a guy that brings nothing but quality. But interesting to know that during our conversation with Craig a couple of weeks ago in the show, he was talking about the concerns about the aero screen, its weight, what it will do to tire consumption, what it will do to vehicle dynamics all the negatives that need to be pondered and addressed. Saw that a friend of mine wrote an article about that here, so decided to go back at Craig's urging and just transcribe what he told us a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to put that into an article here, maybe today, Wednesday, the 28th. But really interesting to hear about some of the things taking place, trying to get ready for this upcoming test in September. We believe it's going to be September, the first test of the second-generation aero screen know for a fact that IndyCar, while not having the aero screen itself to bolt on the cars, did have at least one, if not two of the drivers who tested at uh, Texas Motor Speedway very recently for Firestone, getting ready to try and come up with the 2020 tires are going to use, did have them bolt on the simulated weight, the weight of what the aero screen would be, said to be about 50 pounds. And to see what it felt like, how it altered vehicle handling, altered tire consumption and wear and whatnot. So wasn't the aero screen itself, but interesting to see that IndyCar is wanting to get a feel for how it might make the car behave differently. 50 pounds in a car that fully laden with fuel and everything else is, you know, 1,800 pounds. 
doesn't sound like much. Sounds like a drop in a bucket. But with these vehicles being so highly tuned, uh, yeah, 50 pounds, a big number. So we'll get that story up here shortly. A lot of thoughts about things that need to be considered and a lot of concerns. And another little gem that I will include in that story is there was a driver's meeting, a driver's only meeting to talk about concerns regarding the aero screen to try and present those to the series as a bit of a united front. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. When you have drivers who don't often unite coming together on any topic these days in IndyCar, it's worth sitting up and taking notice. So knowing that this is indeed what happened uh, and that these worries will be brought to the series, um, Put a little bookmark here, a little little placeholder. Uh, when you have something like this moving and that first test is on the very near horizon, should give an indicator that there might be diverging paths of happiness. Uh, so I don't know if this one's going to go quietly or not. So we'll have to see what happens on that front. Other than that, I say it's time to get going with Connor Daly and then our man Dakota Dickerson on the Week in IndyCar, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Connor Daly, I just took a look. I believe this is your eighth appearance on the good old podcast, mostly on the IndyCar front. How you doing? And does number nine feel any better or worse than appearance number eight? Well, I honestly didn't know I did that many, so that sounds great. <laughs> well, I did get an invoice from you for royalties or something like that. So, yeah, maybe I better slow down here. I don't know if I can afford you. I normally work for free. <laughs> All right, good, good. Although we are trying to fix that, right? We're trying to get you to be yeah. a highly paid, consistently paid IndyCar driver, as my yes. cat Rocky decides to jump up and use my arm as the thing to dig his claws into to pull himself up. But, hey, this is what goes on here. Where should we start, my man? You've had a, I think what many folks regard, a classic Connor Daly performance at Pocono. You go quick like a bunny. You pass a lot of people. You impress a lot of people. Many of us leave the event saying the same, same thing we say frequently. Why isn't this man a full-time employee of Team X? What are your thoughts <laughs> leaving? Uh, you heard any further suggestions that, you know, Gateway has only helped you in that quest. What comes to mind? Well, but yeah, I, I think you said Pocono instead of Gateway at first. I'm sorry. No, well, sorry. Right. See, I was. I mean, we were going to pass some people there too. Honestly, our car had just started getting better, but uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it, it really is a, a a tough position to be in. Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I I try to look back at you know other IndyCar drivers. You know, I've obviously followed the sport for a while and. I can't really find many that have been through this many cars and teams. And, and, you know, I haven't even got to 50 starts yet in IndyCar. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird uh, position to be in. And, and honestly, it's, it's, it, it prevents me from probably really getting the best out of myself. Um, but, but I do feel like at the moment, uh, Indy made me more confident than ever as a driver. Um, and I think my, my outlook on, on races are, are much different. It's not necessarily, 
um, a go out and I have to prove myself or else I'll never get in a car again type thing. I just feel like I will do the best job that I can with the equipment that I have and stay within the, you know, the realm of possibility and not do anything that's, you know, insane because realistically as, as Jacques Delaire, you know, always told me, you know, you can only do what you can do. You know, you can't control a lot of things and, and, um, and that's what I'm trying to do. And it's gone, you know, really well this year. I mean, it's been really consistent. Um, but also, you know, I think, uh, you know, we finished 11th twice, but realistically, I think both of those races could have been, you know, well into the top 10 had, you know, pit stops and strategy gone just one way. And, and we say the same thing about gateway. We, we might've even won the race, you know, should we have, you know, got, uh, you know, got the, should that last yellow not have come out. So really cool to be, you know, just racing and to be actually talking about stuff like this. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do that more in the future. Before we get to the awesome questions sent in by our listeners, let's visit on something you just mentioned, talking about repetitions. You don't get to do this on a regular basis. You don't get to do this as often as many of us would like to see you doing. Share with folks who might not know, who might just think, well, you're a professional race car driver, right? You shouldn't be able to show up and be at 100% instantly. Share with folks how... You know, Andrew Luck doesn't walk onto the field for the first play and throw a touchdown. He warms up. Oh, sorry, it's a bad example. Apologies there um, <laughs> for our Hoosier guest here. But whether it's quarterback, name the very, you know, pitcher, there's a reason that pitchers are given time to warm up before they start actually pitching in competition. There is something to being a part of a full-time program, getting those reps and getting that rhythm in that would truly increase any driver's ability to be more competitive well yeah i mean honestly i'm and each team and each engineer has has a different philosophy on how they want to operate the car and how they want to you know get the speed out of it and and that's why you see you know simon pagino stick with his same engineer for a long time that's why alex rossi and his engineer have a great relationship now that's why so many of these drivers who have been around and who have been successful for a very long time you know, have consistent engineers as well. And I, I think that's something that you have to take into, you know, take into thought when you're, when you're trying to figure out how, you know, how is this going to work or how can you best judge this situation is, you know, when I get to Carlin, totally different philosophy, you know, different engineers that I, that I have not worked with before. Um, and, and, and they don't know what I need out of the car. And, you know, a lot of the engineers that, you know, when I worked with Michael Cannon, you know, it obviously took, he's very good and it took us a little while to figure out, you know, what he wanted. But by the, t by the end of that year and by the, by the time that we were, you know, starting to figure things out, he knew exactly what I meant when I said I had a, you know, two out of, you know, two out of five understeer at the apex, um, and, and this, that, and whatever. And, and if you show up on one weekend, there's no way that, you know, engineers can know that you, that that's what you mean, unless you have experience there. So, it, it's it, it's just a small limitation on on what you could potentially do. You know, I I think that's what I really want to be able to do is just show my full full potential. I do believe that you know I I have learned a lot over the years. I've matured a lot. I'm not the same driver I was at the end of 2017. Um, and 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 yeah, I I feel good about where I am. And I think from what I've seen in IndyCar's past, right. There guys like Ryan Briscoe and guys like uh, 
I don't know, drivers that were always called upon, um, you know, because they were reliable and consistent and, and also fast. Um, you know, I feel like I can be one of those guys. And, you know, if, if the opportunity comes around, I think, you know, I, I do feel like if I have a consistent situation, you know, I want to be fighting for wins and championships. Let's get to some of the questions that have come in, Connor, on that theme and more. Again, as usual, I love the variety of questions that we get every week. Also knowing that with you, I think we crowned you before the people's champion. You might have been crowned as the people's champion before you ever visited the show. So I'm not sure if we did it or just want to continue reinforcing it. But it's really cool to see folks respond to you in such a way. We'll also mention that of the things I love with each visit, the variety of spelling combinations for your first name. Um, We have C-O-N-O-R, ding, ding, ding. That's a correct version. We have C-O-N-N-E-R, and we might have had a C-O-N-N-A-R, which is a bit of a rare bird. So, Never seen that one. Yeah. Um, if we get a C-O-N-N-I-R, I think you, someone's going to have to drop the mic because that would just be truly wild. Um, let's go with Vincent, our man at Vincent V-E-M on the good old tweeters, who says, great job as usual last weekend, Connor. I've got to believe you're getting interest for a full-time ride somewhere. What's the latest on your 2020? So not sure if you can name names, but how are things going or feeling at least in terms of talk and interactions? Well, I think we all know that there really are not that many options um, out there. I mean, unless, you know, unless teams are are willing to create seats, um, you know, the 22 full-time cars, you know, are essentially full minus the, you know, the one seat at Arrow McLaren SPM or whatever it is. We call it spam Um, on this show. Yes. Yes. There you go. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I've, I've talked to, you know, there, there's no doubt that I've, you know, I've talked to Bobby Ray Hall, Mike Lanigan, um, you know, I've been obviously to continue to talk with Andretti, but I think most people know that that situation is, is quite crowded. Um, and, and, you know, we potentially might not be able to fit in there, which would be a shame, but, you know, still want to talk to those guys. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, talk to other people as well. I've, I've, I've spoken to Zach Brown and, and, and Zach, you know, Zach is a good guy, known him for a long time. And I know, I know Gilles DeFerrin very well. Um, but you know, it, it still is a difficult situation. There's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, with, you know, with certain, certain capabilities or, or potential, you know, financial attributes that, you know, that I might not have, but, uh, but I've, you know, I've also spoken with Carlin as well. Carlin have expressed an interest in, you know, in, in, in having me, you know, as a full-time driver next year, which would be great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, the main thing is, is I want to try and keep the, my, you know, my U S air force relationship quite strong. And if I can use that and we can, you know, we can get that to help me in, in any, you know, any type of situation that would be ideal, but, it, we're still quite far away from anything being, you know, close to close to being done. So I I, I would love to be full time next year. There are, there are some great potential opportunities, but uh, I've got to we've got to fight for it for sure. And we've still got to figure out whether we can create our own with some uh, you know financial support. I love it. Let's go to Lance Snyder. Great one here. He says At the beginning of the year, Connor, you were lamenting. What was going to be a quiet year? 
with only the Indy 500 on your schedule. And here you are running six IndyCar races, and rather well, I might add. Does this give you more confidence that trying to beat down doors for a full-time ride next year is moving in the right direction? Yeah, I really am more confident for sure. I mean, if you would have – seriously, I mean, the amount of races that I've done is is crazy. I mean, I I never really would have thought that this all would have happened. Um, but, but it, but it's very exciting and, it, and it's been, and it's been great to be a part of and continue to learn more about this car and, and, uh, and, and, and I guess in different teams and different situations, but, um, I, I, I feel good. I feel like, um, you know, there, there, there's potentially, you know, more to, you know, more to do still, obviously if I can find a consistent situation, like I mentioned before, but yeah, feeling good. Uh, it's been nice to race consistently this year and, you know, now it's the end of the season and I've almost pretty much done finished out the IndyCar season, which is, you know, which is crazy. All righty. Where shall we wander next? Why don't we go with, here we go. Danny at Danny Brennan, 72 sounds like he's from Albania, uh, for Connor, how much pride does he take in his Irish roots? He says, as an Irish IndyCar fan, it's absolutely awesome to see someone partially Irish kicking ass on track, which is something that sadly hasn't been too common in most series recently. So if we could get the partially Irish Connor Daly response here, that'd be awesome. Uh, It's cool, man. I mean, I still have my Irish passport and, uh, you know, my dad was in Ireland at, at, at Mondello with his old Formula One car. Uh, you know, just two weeks ago, um, which was really cool. And there was a great response over there uh, for that. So uh, really proud of it, obviously. I mean, my dad was was an incredible Irish sportsman. Um, and, and uh, you know, he can be really proud of that. And I'm really proud to, you know, to be uh, to be his son. So it, it's very cool. But, uh, you know, I've also got a U.S. Air Force as a sponsor. So I'm also still very American as well. <laughs> Have you ever thought about Irish Air Force sponsorship? I mean, I don't know. I'm just, Do they I don't have know. An Air Force? I don't know. I mean, I have to assume it's at least a couple of paper airplanes, right? Sorry, I know I'm going to get hate mail now, as yeah. I should. Uh, let's see. All right, let's go to Taylor Sherlock is asking Connor, can you share your opinion on IndyCar's Super Speedway Aero package and what might be done? to improve the raceability you know it's a great question i and i've been thinking we've all been thinking about that really um you know i i really liked a lot of how you know the cars raced in 2017 um you know the texas race uh you know was awesome obviously very close There, there are certain races where you know people are saying that we race too close and it's too dangerous blah 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 whatever all that stuff i i honestly still think that that's you know we get people complaining about the racing sometime and then if it's really good racing and really exciting well then it's too dangerous so i i just i don't i don't like that because i grew up watching indycar at you know chicagoland texas kentucky you know, races that were so good and side by side the entire night or the entire day. And, you know, I, I think we're just going to have to either be okay with one or the other. And I don't think in an era of modern excitement and modern entertainment that we can be okay with just cars following each other at 10 car lengths for the entire day and hoping that you pass people in pit stops. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think we we either don't have enough downforce or we need to throw Hanford devices on the rear wings like the old cart days, uh, champ car days, whatever that was. Um, and I don't know. There, there's there's, there's got to be something to be done um, because I don't I don't think the racing is quite that like Pocono. I don't think it, it was good. Indy, I thought it was okay, but could for sure be better. Um, and then Texas, I actually thought was a good race, but uh, again, it just depends on what you know what the series wants to do. We have both Nathan Cook and Mark Summer asking the same question. I'll use Mark's here. He says, having driven both the Honda and the Chevy, do you notice any differences in how they make power? Not necessarily peak horsepower, but maybe delivery of that power at different RPM bands. Yeah, I mean, as a driver, I can obviously feel the differences, um, but it's very, very, very minute, and it's, it would be hard for me to verbally describe. Um, but, you know, both engine manufacturers do a great job. I mean, I I obviously, you know, I think they both either hate me or don't like me because I have to drive both, and I know they want to keep their secrets, you know, inside of their operations, and and I love them both. I mean, I, everyone, they've been they've been nice to me. You know, people, people, I think, I've dealt with, you know, working with me, even though I just get thrown in last minute, but I've loved working with both Chevy and Honda. I mean, Jim Campbell's a good friend and, and everyone at Honda is as well. Um, you know, great people. Obviously they gave me an incredible package at the Indy 500. So, so yeah, there's they're small, small differences, but both manufacturers are so close because it's so competitive that, you know, it's really hard to necessarily say one is better than the other. So we won't make them mad by talking about, deep items related to engines does the chevy or honda does one or the other have maybe a better new car smell than the other <laughs> i think they both smell the same actually really yeah it might might be the driver itself influencing the uh the good old cockpit the scent. scent there just just a wee wee bit uh let's yeah. see let's go to john olsakowski who says connie you seem to be having the most fun in an indie car that you've had in a long time in the on track results show john's curious if achieving solid results outside of IndyCar, whether it's the uh imsa lamborghini super trofeo stuff you've done or otherwise might be an influence of some sort or possibly affect some of your opportunities for the future if indycar is not your full-time home next year well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I want to be a professional racing driver and where that is. I don't know. I would love to do more AMSA stuff. I just, I haven't really, I haven't really been embraced by that world yet. Uh, you know, it's been awesome to do the Lamborghini super trofeo stuff. Um, I, I find it a bit of a difficult championship to really understand and, and, and be, a. I just, it's, it's, it's an odd car to race and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's so? fine, but it's, well, it just, it doesn't draft well. And the, overtaking for a for a series like that shouldn't be as difficult as it is because basically anyone in that series can break as late as you know as anyone else because they've got abs so you know all you do is stand on the brake pedal and you know it stops pretty easily so you know even if you're you're good on the brakes it doesn't matter because you know an amateur or something can break as late as you can so then it makes overtaking very difficult and then obviously drivers aren't as experience so there could be you know potential contact there and the cars don't the the draft the way the engine works is that the 
the air intake is on the roof. So when you're drafting a car, you lose a bunch of horsepower. So you go backwards. So it just doesn't really, it doesn't really race as well as I think, um, you know, a series like that should. So it's been, you know, it's been an interesting learning curve and I, we're a one car team at precision performance. So, um, you know, it's, it's a small, small gig, but I have enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm open to all racing series. I want to, you know, I would love to do sports cars. My true heart and dedication is going all towards IndyCar and all my, any, any sponsors that I have, I shouldn't say all because I barely have any, but, but any support that I have is, is really towards getting me an IndyCar. So, um, so yeah, we'll see though. I, I think doing, having a broad spectrum this year of, of, of sports cars and IndyCar stuff and all of it going, you know, fairly well, um, it, it can't necessarily hurt my future, I guess. Let's go to Harrison Riley, who's one of a few people who've asked, what makes Gateway such a good track for you? He says, you seem to have a better grasp of how to be quick there than most drivers. You know, I don't know what it is, but I I do love that track. There's something about it, whether it's the feel of of getting into the corners. It's it's basically like four or two high-speed corners on a road course. Um, You know, you use the brake a little bit more than two. Um, and then three, four was close to flat, but the way it works out, it's just, you know, it feels like two high speed road course corners. So I, I like high speed corners on road courses. Um, but I've also, you know, the setup I had in 2017, I'm very familiar with, and that was mechanically quite good. And, you know, we, I, I tried to get, you know, pretty close to that with Carlin as well, but I, I thought our car was even better, you know, this year than it was in 2017. So you know, made some progress there, but for sure that track, whatever it is, um, you know, I can just, I, I, I feel it out really well. And, and, um, and I really, really enjoy racing there. I, I want to win there so bad because I feel like, you know, th- this year we came really close and, uh, and yeah, I, I definitely want to get a trophy leaving there at some point. Let's go to Andrew Stewart. We get technical here for a moment, then very not technical with the, f- question following that andrew asks are steering ratios track specific or are there generic short oval street course road course steering setups he says some drivers have steering wheels turned to the right so it is quote straight when going through the corner you weren't one of them though connor is it team specific or personal preference yeah it's it's basically team specific i think um you know when i got to carlin they obviously uh, they're still, you know, it's a new team They're They have a different philosophy on the ovals than, you know, than some teams I've driven for in the past. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it is engineer and team dependent. I, I don't really care. I'll drive anything. I've driven cars where the steering is offset. I've driven cars when it's straight, but, uh, but yeah, some drivers, you know, like a bit of that angle going down the straight and then have the wheel a little bit more straight in the corners, but I haven't been with the team long enough to have a preference. So, so I just, you know, drive whatever I'm given and, uh, and I usually end up pretty happy with it. Next question might be my favorite of the episode comes in from Stacy Hayes asks, I believe that I saw Connor sign a man's chest on Saturday that must be the strangest thing he has signed, right? Uh, actually, uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, I've I've signed things like uh, like a, a bald man's head, 
um, and like an ice skate. I thought that was weird or different. Um, but yeah, man titties. I don't know. I, I haven't really, I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't really signed many of those. Many, meaning some, but not a lot. I might have potentially signed another one. I don't know. I gotta think I have. I love the fact that you just don't allow your brain to capture some of these shenanigans. Uh, it's huh. it's going into protection mode. You're going into mental limp mode. I like that. Exactly. Like a, like a, your Subaru. Um, let's go to Brendan Wagner. Connor, awesome overall job Saturday night. My question is, how the hell were you able to outbreak so many people going into turn three while everyone else who attempted a dive bomb Saturday ended up way in the marbles or worse into the wall? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I was using the, uh, the, uh, the, the slide job term that people use in NASCAR quite a lot. I mean, we would get to the apex and I'd be fully sideways, but back on the throttle, just hammering it. So it's, um, you know, I, I just, I was really confident with the car. I mean, you gotta be, you gotta be confident in the right rear and, and be able to, you know, turn as much as you want. And that's what I, that's what I try to build into, you know, my race setups is the fact that I can turn the wheel aggressively and, and put the car where I want it. Um, and that's what we were able to do. And, and, and that's, you know, it, it's, it sort of is like a road course. The fact that you do have to outbreak people. And, and I, and I like that. And, and part of oval racing is just taking advantage of open space. Oftentimes, you know, people in front of you stack up and they try to get a run on the next straightaway, but you could easily just slide right around the outside of them on a restart or, or, you know, or outbreak them potentially on the inside because you just need to get to that open space. And when you take it away from them, you know, then, then you're okay. I mean, it's a bit of a defensive drive off, but if you can make it happen, you know, it's much better than sitting there for 25 laps and waiting for another chance to potentially pass. Let's go to Steve Straub. And this touches on something we've hit upon, hit upon a little bit already, but it is an angle that Robin and I, Miller and I, just discussed here recently. He says, for Connor, do you know if Carlin has funding for two full-time entries next year? He says, what's the likelihood they could run Connor full-time and then have Max Chilton and Charlie Kimball split the second car with Charlie doing the ovals? That being the essentially the seat you've been drafted into to fill in for Max, who's no longer doing ovals. I know, again, we're covering a little bit of ground we've been on already but i do like this scenario though i'm sure it would involve you know having to have some sponsors come along and help but if we have charlie who funding wise we think is kind of in the might be the oval only solution and max who said he wants to be the road course only solution at least from the outside this looks like potentially a perfect kind of marriage of needs and talents and opportunity it's never that simple though right yeah, I mean that that's that's the that's the difficult thing. It it, it isn't that simple. There's definitely um, you know there there's gonna, there's a financial element that obviously needs to be in place, and 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 it is hard to find for teams and drivers. And um, you know I I do I have really really enjoyed working with Carlin, and I like Trevor, I like Steph, his wife, I like all those guys. Um, you know, Colin, the team manager, does a great job, and Sylvia as well. So I, I think you know it. it it's it's certainly not off the table to be at Carlin next year. I mean, I I will have to have some sort of you know backing, um, but you know if we if we if we can you know get get more support from the Air Force and and potentially some other people, then 
um, you know, then you never know. But, uh, but as of right now, you know, it's, it's not exactly a plug and play type deal. Um, and, and nor are any of these seats really. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're working on it. We're certainly evaluating all the possible scenarios. Let's go to Clint Lonnen, who has one of the scariest avatars I've come across on the good old tweeters. Clint says, I know drivers can have their own preference on what is displayed on their steering wheel. So Connor, what does your steering wheel display during a race? What kind of info matters the most to you? Well, every, you know, it's funny. I've driven for so many teams now. Every, every team has a different, um, a different steering wheel display. Uh, you know, Cosworth, the new wheel with Cosworth has given the teams a bit more freedom to, you know, to put what they want on the dash and edit how it's colored and, and, uh, you know, where it sits, et cetera. Like, if you look at Graham Rahal's dash, I think his dash looks the most different of anyone's. Um, but, uh, but that's what they can do. And that, if that's what he likes, then boom, there you go. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, the more, the most important thing to know is, you know, is just, is where your weight jackers at, where the, you know, the heavier, have your front and rear roll bar positions on there. Um, and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, what, what fuel mileage you're getting. Um, and obviously lap time, lap time and projected lap time. Um, that's, that's going to be up there. Uh, but you know, even, you know, Carlin, we have all four tire temperatures, um, you know, on my race page as well. And I, I don't look at that, but if there would be a problem with the tire, you know, I could immediately look down and potentially see that there might be a, a temperature issue with one of them and, and, uh, and yeah, and then adjust my driving accordingly. So every team has a little bit of a different philosophy, but, uh, you know, there are still the basics like lap time and bars and weight jackers. I love the next question here from Jeremiah Morrell. Hey, Jeremiah. He says, does Connor have, uh, have to have a seat fit for him at both Carlin and Andretti, or does he just carry it with him along with his helmet shows up at the track, like a boy scout, always prepared. <laughs> or at this point, does every team in the paddock have a seat ready for Connor Daly? <laughs> well, uh, I've actually, the seat I used, I think, in twenty. The seat that I made in twenty seventeen is, yeah, I think that's the one I've used since then. Um, but then when I got to Andretti this year, uh, I, I wanted to be just a hair lower for the ovals, so we made another seat. So I do have two seats that are now floating around the IndyCar paddock. Um, one, one I believe is currently in the Ganassi trailer because you know. I got to get it to Portland somehow in case anything happens there. And, uh, and the other one is in, is in the Carlin trailer. So I have two seats with two different teams, one team that I'm definitely not driving for one team that I have driven for. So, you know, everyone's actually been super cool about helping out, you know, Andretti when, when, when they knew I was going to be racing with Carlin, they, they basically just handed over my belts and my seat, um, you know, to Carlin for, for me to use while there. Uh, and, 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 and teams are, 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 have been super helpful and, and I can't thank them enough for that. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's still a competitive sport, but everyone's been pretty cool when, when swapping stuff over like that. But yeah, I have two seats, one for the ovals and one for the road courses. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they float around <laughs> and it's not really something you want to check in on your flight on Delta or Southwest or whatever, <laughs> obviously drivers have and do do it. If we remember, couple years ago when will power crashed at st petersburg and they drafted in oriel servia to replace him for the race 
he just simply granted, I think he might have had a few drinks by then, but he was just <laughs> truly waiting at the airport baggage claim to see his seat going round and around, having been shipped, uh, not overnight, but truly thrown on a plane to get there, um, which I, I absolutely loved. So if we think about I think some of the remaining questions we might get through, my man, knowing that you both have things to do today, as do I. Let's go I don't mind t- answering questions. Don't worry. I know. <laughs> that was a polite way of saying, I got to go to the bathroom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to go to Kyle Ballard. He says, Connor, since you are so involved in esports, who is the IndyCar personality we would be surprised to learn is a gamer? I mean, I don't I don't really know. I, I think uh, Colton Herta is a big gamer, like big gamer. Now, obviously, not during this season because he's everyone's, you know, everyone's superhero right now. But uh, but in the off season, I'm sure we'll get back to the Xbox life and, and grind it out. Uh, but Joseph was always the guy I used to play with back in the day. Um, we would play a lot of a lot of Forza. Uh, but now, obviously, you know, he's he's uh, very employed by Penske. And so I'm sure Andy also is getting married. So that's that video games are probably slowly fading out of that life. Um, but yeah, other than that, heck, I don't even know if anyone games. It's it's more, you know, everyone's very very adult-like in IndyCar and very, you know, more concerned with, uh, you know, finer things in life like dogs and, and wine trips and, and, and stuff of that nature. <laughs> I was so hoping you are going to say Roger Penske. That would have been the yeah. best. Oh, Rog, I'm just telling you, that that yeah. guy, it, RP is Rog hashtag is Twitch life. Xbox guy. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> nonstop. The guy never sleeps. He's pounding four locos and gaming all night long all right that would be hilarious where else <laughs> here's an interesting one uh this comes in from vesper vickers miller uh, it says connor how does it feel to race in the indycar series for the air force what what entails other feelings half of your body i guess as we determined earlier you know half of you wants to represent the irish air force but at least for the half american side of you what does it feel like man um it's incredible. There, there. I, I have met some of the most impressive human beings that I have ever uh, interacted with. Uh, you know, during this relationship with them, um, it's it, it's a, it's a very proud moment. You know, standing with uh, you know members of, of the U.S. Air Force and and everyone that you know has worked with me on that program. Uh, it's just it's just you know it's it's a very proud organization. It's a great group of people. It's a very high performance group of humans. Um, you know, going, getting to ride in, you know, in fighter jets with them, uh, you know, has given me an even, even more massive respect for, for what, you know, what our service members do and, 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 and what they go through. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's been incredible. It feels awesome. It's by far one of the coolest, you know, one of the coolest sponsorships, you know, I've ever had or been a part of. And, and the car looks incredible too. And that's been awesome to see the fans respond. I mean, I've, I've never signed more diecast cars in my life than I have this year. And, and I can't thank the fans enough for, you know, for, for buying those and supporting us and, and showing the air force that, you know, this is a, a place that will give you a return on your investment. Let's see, where are we going to wander to next? <laughs> it's had a good one. Oh, John Hollinger here. Very important. Connor, any truth to the rumor that you will be playing quarterback for the Colts next year? And Andrew Luck will be driving for McLaren. Huh. Well, you never know. I uh, tell you what, I haven't really got a great arm, 
But uh, if they want to pay me $180 million over four years, you know, I'd happily take it. <laughs> you would accept that. Breaking news. Connor Daly would accept $180 million to play football. I love yeah. it. Uh, where should we go? Da, da, da. You know, this is a good one as well on a, on a theme. We're being thematic here. Kevin Federico says, Connor, how do you feel about Carlin's progression as a new IndyCar team? I, I think they've done a great job, honestly. Um, I think it, it's very difficult to, to be, you know, to be at the front of an IndyCar field. I mean, we, we know how difficult it is. We've seen how, you know, how many years Penske, Ganassi, Andretti have been around, even Schmidt Peterson. I mean, those guys have been around a long time. Ray Hall Letterman. I mean, there are a lot of great teams in IndyCar. Um, and, and Carlin is still so fresh and they will admit it. I mean, they're like, Hey, this is, you know, this is very, this is year two, right? This, yeah. This is, you know, very, very young and everyone there is learning. They're all gathering more and more data. You know, even this year alone, I know that they have, you know, a very, you know, a very stout plan in the off season to try and, you know, take everything to the next level. And that's, you know, that's what teams do. That's what, that's what you got to do to be competitive in a, in a professional sport. And, and I and I do see the want and the and the uh, you know the passion for motorsport in in the mechanics and in all the guys. They want to win. They want to get trophies. They want to be you know at the front, which is uh, you know which is a great environment to be you know be involved in. Next question is one that for those who were watching the qualifying show or listening to it would definitely have been registered as an item. This comes in from Ed Roberts. He says, what can be done to limit the impact that something like oil dry or a similarly controllable track condition to make qualifying more fair? And he asks, should something be done if it's an option? Why don't you run folks who might not be aware through what happened and how through, let's say, no fault of your own, you really, truly got boned in qualifying? (laughs) Well, honestly, you know, it, the, the same thing happened in Iowa, sadly. I mean, I in Iowa, uh, you know, I, I, I was running lane two all day, all morning in the practice session, and we were actually quite quick. And then, um, you know, one of the ARCA cars had gone out and blown up all over the track, and lane two was essentially covered in oil. Um, so all of a sudden, I had to run the bottom, which the car wasn't quite as good down on the bottom. Uh, but, you know, we were first out, and so that that was it. So uh you know it it was a shame it limited our our performance there and then you know we get to gateway and we were watching the session in our trailer of vintage cars and i said i promise you guys one of these will blow up and cover the entire track in oil or a very crucial part of it sure enough as soon as we saw one of those beautiful vintage indy cars shoot smoke out of the back of it i said well there goes our entire afternoon. So it was, it was, it was a real shame. I mean, the, the only thing, I mean, IndyCar did everything they could do. I mean, IndyCar, they were, they were blow drying it with their jets, jet dryers. I mean, they were bringing the tire tractor out there to try and, you know, run the Firestone tire over it. But we are entering these corners at over 190 miles an hour. And there is nothing that will suck the surface like our floors will, you know what I mean? We're producing so much downforce, you know, from the floor of the car that it will, it it, it will act like a a vacuum in itself. So unless literally the only thing that would have fixed that or, or helped it in any way is if you told 
whoever was driving the two seater to go out there and do 20 or 30 laps. That was my that, thought. Yeah. I mean, that's a race car and it still does have a downforce producing floor and it would just clean it off a little bit. But you know, it, the track wasn't really ready. It or it wasn't even sort of back to normal speeds until probably after Zach Veach went. And then, you know, then the speeds sort of started being normal or where we thought they were going to be. But realistically, you know, the last car that went out to qualify got pulled. So it's, it's, it, it was a tough situation to be in. You know, when, when we look at the sectors, you know, I, I definitely try, I, I, I entered turn one ninth segment wise. So we were, we were ninth quickest entering turn one. However, we were 15 miles an hour slower than we were in practice at the apex. So, you know, definitely tried to sail it into turn one, but it was very, very sketchy once we got to the ice rink of a, of an apex. So IndyCar did what they could do. It, it, it's just, pure Connor daily luck um that that would happen uh but yeah i, I there I, I hope that we some you know so, look at a situation to change that in the future but it, it, it will be difficult all right as we wind down to our last question or two we're going to go to galen puccini says connor with so many teams and teammates over the years when you do come to a new team is it all the same process of getting started and getting down to business or is it different he says any funny stories come to mind while well, dealing with that sort of thing and also offered condolences for your grandmother thank you um you know honestly it, every team is a little bit different yes but you know nowadays it's almost like oh hey connor you know how's it going because i know all these guys already i mean i know i've been around this sport for so long you know i know I pretty much know most of the people at these teams, you know, Carl and I, I, a lot of the engineers and people from that team I had known from 2011 when I drove for them in GP3. So, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of the same process, right? We use the first session to get used to everything and sort of start at their baseline setup and what, what they, you know, what they want to run and then, you know, get used to things, figure out if the car fit is right, you know, figure out if I'm sitting, uh, you know, in the right spot in the car or if the pedals are okay, you know, and I've, I've got a pedal sheet in my backpack that I literally take with me to every race where it says, <laughs> you know, pedals, where the pedals go, where, what steering shaft position I like. And it's just in my backpack at all times. So, you know, I have that and yeah, would, would I rather not waste time with all that stuff? Yes. And again, that's part of the consistency of being in a full-time team or operation you don't have to go through that, but I've had to go through that a lot. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that's part of the game. But, yeah, most teams are, are, are pretty similar because you don't want to start out by saying, hey, all right, Connor, we're going to drop these massive setup changes on you before you've even had to figure out our, you know, baseline setup. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Well, Ryan Hart had a bit of a follow-up to that, but maybe we can expand on this a little bit. He says, Connor – uh, since you have driven for a number of teams, different cars, in IndyCar and outside as well, how do you remember what works with each team in each car? Do you carry around a notebook full of notes, keep it all electronically, keep it in your head, just rely on the engineer or something else? So, great question. As you are a traveling man, how do you yeah, keep well, track of, of <laughs> yes, no, bad, good, 2.7 millimeters here, 1.4 there? How do you do that? Well, that's the interesting thing as well, because, you know, I, you know, I also sign NDAs with teams, right, where you can't necessarily openly bring information to other teams. And, and, and you got to be respectful of that as well, because if you do, you know, if I went 
from Andretti to Carlin and said, boom, here's my setup sheet from the Indianapolis 500. Let's go run it at Texas. That in, that would circulate that I did that, and that probably would not be good for me in the future. And and although Carlin would love that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I, I can't do that. However, what I do have, though, is a feel for a lot of the changes that we did make during the month of May and that I have made in my career. And that's what I sort of get used to is what changes affect my driving style the most whether it's rear toe, whether it's a geometry thing, whether it's front toe or camber, something like that. You know, there's there's a lot of things that I respond to more positively. And like there's one thing that I, I never want on my car on an oval, and that's the rear bar. A lot of times teams want, um, you know, teams have the rear bar in their setup, and I will never run it. I, I know that it doesn't work with my driving style, and I know that I don't like the way the car feels with it. So I tell them that don't bother. And, and sometimes, you know, a little, we have Carlin still, you know, we, we, we tried, uh, you know, certain things with, with, um, you know, with the setup and we all figured out eventually what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, and that's, that's part of, you know, getting involved with the team, but yes, there are certain things that I know that I like certain things that I know that I don't like. Uh, I have taken notes. I, I have notes on certain things, but, uh, but yeah, definitely can't be, you know, it's just necessarily carrying around setup sheets just for, you know, just for uh, legality reasons. <laughs> well, but trust as well. And the yeah, reason exactly. that you have had a number of teams call you and entrust you to do work for them, whether it's a Harding, an Andretti, a Coin, et cetera, Foyt, uh, now with Carlin, it's because they know that you're going to bring integrity to what you do. And so this isn't a, a blowing smoke moment. It's just you know, as you said in the outset, you can sign an NDA, then try and share that information with another team, and that may happen in complete secrecy. And it might not be known right then and there, but the mechanic, the chief mechanic that you spoke with who knew where the information came from could leave and go to it. Who knows? Maybe the team that you got the information from uh, and head there next year quick conversation oh yeah we had daily over here boy we really love that setup we had everybody's eyeballs get huge your lawyer calls you and says sell everything you got because you're about to lose everything you have i mean again you can try and be as stealthy as you want it's gonna get back so there's no reason to even go in that direction in terms of the actual information that doesn't mean you can't tell even if they don't tell you uh, hey, we're going to make a front spring change. They might not tell you what spring rate they're going to. You can certainly t- have a feel on what that might be, and that folks can't take from you. Exactly, yes. You summed it right up. Look at that. All right, two more questions. One from Brett Ross. Connor, have you thought of putting the shark teeth that was on your United States Air Force IndyCar at the Indy 500 on your Subaru? I think it would look uh, cool. Uh, no. <laughs> definitely have not uh i don't want to do anything to my subaru i want to basically keep it in my garage forever and hopefully has it stopped blowing up it is it is currently running uh i'm soon approaching an oil change um but uh i <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 tell you this i i didn't dr- i obviously everyone drives to st louis for the event and uh i had carlin rent me a car so i could drive <laughs> that car to st louis instead of my subaru so that's how much i don't trust it because i just i don't want to go through now graham ray hall performance did a great job i was gonna it's say didn't ray hall oh boy yes. we're, we're throwing no, they some did a great job ray hall great. bus action here 
I don't want to take a chance on anything. I, I don't want to go through the uh, begging and borrowing and, 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 you know, loaning process again. So uh, the goal is to be a full-time IndyCar driver so I can get a free car from one manufacturer uh, or, or the other and uh, have that as a nice, reliable vehicle for the year. <laughs> don't, aren't there some old, some Oldsmobiles and some other old Infinities laying around from the IRL days? Maybe we could uh, get, get our hands on for you. All right, never You'd be mind. surprised how difficult it is to find three cars. <laughs> yeah, fair point, fair point. All right, well, the final question to close the episode comes from some guy named M. Pruitt, complete jackass, I believe. Tell us about oh. this podcast, since this is, I think, appearance number nine here. Tell folks about this podcast you do with our mutual friend, Jim Aiello, who, like Andrew Luck, decided, you know what? Time to change careers. Time for a bit of a, a, a shift. So uh, it's nice that you still do an IndyCar podcast with him, but I don't know. I mean, he, he's kind of told us we're no longer worthy of his presence, so you might have to cut bait there sometime. But tell folks about this podcast you do with Jim and how they should listen to it because it's two good people having a lot of fun. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, so J, yeah, Jim and I decided. Well, Jim had asked me if I wanted to do a podcast, and um, and I thought you know it could be cool, and 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 it's through the Indie Star, uh, Indie Star Sports, and all the, and all that. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know we talk about IndyCar racing, how how the previous race went, um, some of the storylines potentially, and. And I just try to be really real with people. I try to give them the honest opinion of, you know, what, what goes on and, and try to be, uh, you know, more, more transparent than I'd say most people would be. Um, and it's, you know, it's got me in trouble a little bit, you know, with, with Carlin sometimes, but, uh, but I, I like to be positive. I like to be honest and I like to describe things for people in a new way. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm always going to be me. I'm always going to be pretty honest and, um, and yeah, it's, you know, you can, you can definitely check it out. I'm going to do, you know, record another episode here, uh, tomorrow or well, very soon. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, after, after Portland, we'll do one. And then after Laguna, we'll probably do one to close out the season and then see what happens next year. So it's very, it's, it's, it's been fun. So folks wanted to listen to this fine piece of audio generation, can they go to your good old social medias and find links or where yeah, might well, they find it as I try and prompt you to help folks to drive traffic? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's on, you know, it's on iTunes. It's on all the places that you can basically everywhere where you can listen to a podcast and it's called IndyCar weekly. Um, yeah, that, that boy, yeah, that, that's a great title by the way. Yeah. And thanks yeah, for was, appearing on the week in indycar here so yeah yes. my lawyers are going to get in contact with your fake lawyers and yeah we're going to have words exactly very very unique title that we thought a lot about thanks jim um, yeah, very creative there mr writer guy Good credit Lord. jim for the, yeah, yeah. the potential copyright issues um but but here we are so indycar weekly on all the <laughs> podcast formats um please myspace listen. Friendster, I think you got it yeah, all covered. Space, Napster, you guys yeah, are big uh, on Napster too. WeChat, yeah, I don't know, all that stuff. <sighs> well, the show's blown up as usual, like your Subaru to close. So, although not blown up now, it's so good to hear. I do love yes. the fact that you're trying to protect Graham Ray Hall performance's good reputation by not deriving it. Uh, it's They're the good best. People. 
Yeah, they are. No, I, I, I may or may not have spent about a half hour on the phone with uh, Ray Hall this morning, uh, you know, solving all the world's problems, et cetera, et cetera. So, all right, well, go and prepare for, I guess, a flight out my general way. Look forward to seeing you this weekend, knowing you're going to have at least two seats uh, to work from if you have an opportunity arise. And other than that, Thanks, as always, for entertaining and educating us, young Mr. Daly. Yes, anytime. Thank you. Is this the champ champ himself, Dakota Dickerson? Could this be the man? Has he made time available for us on the Week in IndyCar? (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Always making time for the Week in IndyCar. So thanks for having me on, Marshall. Let's talk about awesome weekend for you. One culminating strong year of work, also adding to a title you earned last year. So every week we try and feature someone from the road to Indy. That is a place you have been, taking a little bit of a detour to work in the world of uh, F4 and F3 in the U.S. Let's talk about this rerouting, if we want to call it that, and the success you've been able to have, Dakota. So two championships consecutive awesome what have you learned what have you learned coming off of road to indie experience i know we want to get you back but tell us about this time focusing on f4 and now f3 yeah like you said um, i've had a fantastic experience running in the road to indie primarily in usf 2000 in 2016 and 2017 before we made the transition into running in f4 and f3 with scca pro racing and it's been a fantastic experience. Obviously, 2016 was the first year that I started racing cars, and I had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. So gaining experience in a series that had 30-plus cars in F4 and then moving up into the F3 ranks, learning how to drive a car, a Honda-powered turbo engine with a lot of aero as well, built from Liget. It's been a big learning curve going up from F4 to F3, but I think that that learning curve is also going to be something that's going to hopefully help me continue up the open wheel ladder and one day into IndyCar. So knowing that F4 in particular, I think has really come to form an important step. Where do you see it falling? If we're comparing it to the road to Indy with USF 2000 as the first major step for cars, uh, open wheel cars, and obviously onto what we now call Indy pro 2000, then Indy lights, where does F4 fall in your estimation in terms of speed, training, and, and just overall aptitude requirements compared to the road to Indy? Would this be something where for those maybe coming out of carts still wanting to get a little bit more experience, maybe consider F4 before US F2000? Yeah, I think for me, so it was kind of interesting in 17, for example, we did the first half of the season in the USF 2000 car before transitioning into the F4 car. And I'd say on a, in terms of learning, like driving a race car, the F4 and USF cars are relatively similar. The USF 2000 car is slightly wider, um, has a little bit more horsepower, whereas the F4 car is a little bit heavier, but in terms of the aero balance and everything, it's relatively the same. So I think as somebody who's moving from go-karts into open-wheel cars, both F4 and the USF 2000 program are a fantastic series for that. Um, and obviously, the, the primary difference between F4, F3, and the road to Indy now is clearly there's only two steps in the F4 and F3 program, whereas in the road to Indy, you have the three-ladder system. Um, and so 
right now it looks like F4 and USF 2000 are comparable, whereas F3 and D Pro 2000 are comparable. Um, it's really interesting actually watching some of the time differences. We go to some of the same tracks, like F4 just shared Road or Mid Ohio with the NASCAR guys, and we were just at Road America with NASCAR as well. So um, it's been really interesting to see the time differences and everything like that. But I'd say on a developmental level, it seems like F4 and USF 2000 are really happy places for anybody who's looking to make that transition out of go-karts. So the F3 field, um, F3 America's field, hasn't been particularly deep. We've had that same comment to make for a couple years now, unfortunately, about Indy Lights. The positive, though, is whether there have been eight cars in Indy Lights or 13, there's been a pretty amazing crop of talent up front proves mm-hmm. definitely proves the fact that hey doesn't matter if you have 50 car grids in reality there's only going to be three or four or five truly talented drivers at the front showing that they're ready to make the step up to indycar in the future how does that compare for what you've seen in the f3 america series where again you know seven eight nine cars uh, at many rounds have you seen similar depth for you to have to fight against to get and earn this title you've achieved. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, the car count is certainly something that people like to look at on paper, but the strength of the field, if you want to say, is something that us drivers are, are really keen to look for. And um, in F3 Americas, I think Honda and Lige and all the partners in the program have done a fantastic job growing the program, obviously debuted last year in, in August. So to get you know the 10, 11 car average that we've been getting this year, I think is strong. But as you as you mentioned, um, it certainly has been incredibly competitive um, at times this year, and that's really important for me. Obviously, is, you know we're running an F three, and it's awesome that we've won the championship. But for me, on a personal level, need to be preparing myself for the next step. So having some people around that are really competitive, obviously Benjamin Peterson, my teammate, coming from British F three over to F three Americas, has been really pushing me and, and things like that. So I think there has been some very strong competition in F three. Um, and obviously the next step that we take, hopefully, um, whatever that may be, will will continue to progress me into an IndyCar driver. Let's stay on the Fs for a moment. Halos, something that IndyCar drivers will get accustomed to next year with a halo and an arrow screen in front of it. For those who haven't had a chance to race with the, I guess, the, the thong portion of a flip-flop shoe um, <laughs> draped over their head and in front of them. Share with folks what it's been like. Regular competition in open wheel here in the U.S. with a halo around you. Pain in the ass? Something you forget quickly? What's it like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So when you look at it from, like, from the outside of the car, it certainly looks like it's right where you need to be looking down the road. Um, but when you're racing, it's actually not very noticeable. Um, the way I describe it is if like you put your, your hand perpendicular to your face right on your nose and had to look around it, it's essentially what it looks like. Like you can see it's there, but you're consistently looking around it. The only time that I've really noticed it being in the way is when there's a car down the road and you're trying to look down the road to see if there's an incident or just looking towards the next corner. That's when it starts to maybe affect your, your eye line and your sight. But other than that, it's really, not too affecting, but I really like what IndyCar is doing with the aero screen and everything. Um, I actually had a, a fortunate, I was fortunate enough to have a conversation uh, with Mr. Horton at the IndyCar safety team and talking to them about like what they're 
working on with the safety screen and it's um it's really impressive actually what they're doing and all the engineering that's going behind it so looking forward to that let's move to the questions we've got because he also addressed the main one i was hoping you would get into we'll use our man jameen tuttle who always sends in great stuff every week so thank you jameen says dakota you've had a great year in f3 do you feel that f3 has given you the experience needed for indie lights and have you had much or any oval experience so Thoughts on preparation coming out of F3 now? And is Indie Lights the thing you are targeting for next year? And also, what about ovals? Yeah, so I guess the first part of the question in terms of preparation, I think F3 Americas has done a fantastic job. Obviously, the biggest thing is being associated with a manufacturer like Honda, who's an IndyCar. I think they really bring a, a plethora of knowledge in terms of what it takes to be an IndyCar driver. So, their help developing young drivers in the F4 and F3 ranks is huge, and that's a primary focus for them. So I think with their help, it's it's been fantastic being able to learn what I have. Um, and obviously, looking at the next step, if we do want to get into IndyCar, we want to be in a series that prepares us um, for that. So we're working really hard with the partners to see where Happy Home is. Indy Lights is a very clear option um, for that. So you know, on the super speedway stuff, obviously going to IMS and the lights car is going to be fantastic, but something that I necessarily don't have too much experience with. Um, I was fortunate enough to do some of the smaller ovals in USF 2000 in 2016 and 2017. Um, but it's definitely going to be interesting going on a super speedway, going over 200 miles an hour. So that's something that I think we'll reach out to some people, lean on some of the teammates for, but, um, I think it'll be a lot of fun regardless. What about the what about that leap preparation wise uh, in terms of coming out of all you've done so far? Let's I wouldn't even limit it to F3 but just junior open wheel and the potential of getting up to the top step of the junior open wheel training series is Indy Lights, you know, the concrete thing you're aiming at for next year? Are there any other, I don't know, fallbacks would be the way to put it, as we say hello to your dog. Um, <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm hoping we get you in lights because we certainly need the numbers, but do you feel like you'd be ready for it if that uh, was able to happen? Yeah, I think if that opportunity presented itself, and I'm actually talking, just finished talking to Portland, so hopefully we have some good conversations there. But um, if that opportunity did present itself, I think I'd be ready. Obviously, um, it's a really physical car with how quick it goes. So on the off-track side of it, we'll be focusing on the physical portion of it. But in terms of the driving aspect, I think we'd certainly be ready for it. Um, I think the teams that are out there are fantastic at developing drivers as well to get an Indy car. So I think we would be ready for it. Indy Lights is certainly kind of like the i mean it, it is the premier training ground right now for indycar um and we would we'd be really fortunate enough to be in the lights field next year obviously working with the partners at SCCA pro, SCCA pro racing like honda really trying to lean on them and see where a happy home would be because they are involved with indycar and having f4 and f3 as a developmental right now um is fantastic so trying to see where they would um, like to put their champion and, and working with them really hard to see where that is. Two other questions we have for you are related. So we'll just do our best to add some new twists. Chuck Mathis sends in an item says, great job on the F3 and F4 championships. My son, Jeff Mathis uh, was, was a crew member on your F4 team. He said you were a step ahead of the field. Once the oil levels were fixed and it became an even playing field. Um, <laughs> He says, are you continuing towards IndyCar or IMSA? 
after your latest success. So that's an interesting one too, right? We've seen more yeah. and more young drivers who might have IndyCar aspirations also say, you know, maybe I should not limit myself or try and specialize. Maybe I should look at some other opportunities outside open wheel too at an early age. You think Chuck might be onto something here for you? Is that what you're looking at? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. You know, I've been fortunate enough to run an LMP3 this year uh, in IMSA, and it's been it's been awesome. It's been so much fun running and, and kind of endurance racing. You've and been quick like a bunny too. <laughs> it's been it's been really good. Um, I have a great teammate, Dylan Murray, and the team actually a new team MLT Motorsports has done a fantastic job getting into the program. So um, it's been a lot of fun. And to be honest with you, it is something that I'm actively looking at for next year. Um, you see guys like Aaron Teltz, who's with Lexus right now, and Victor Franzoni, who's doing a fantastic job in the Daytona prototype with Junkos. Um, those guys moving from their Indy Lights experience, obviously, like you said, Indy car aspirations, but making the jump over to sports cars. Um, obviously, from everything I hear, there's tons of opportunities, and that's what we've been seeing on first-hand basis, too. So um, it certainly makes a lot of sense, you know, on paper, too, with Again, Honda being involved in so many different forms of motorsports here in the States and Liget having their hand in the LMP3 side of it too. The sports car world is certainly um, on one of the one of the many things that we're looking at for, for 2020. Let's go to Chris Madgwick. He says, Dakota, what car or team is out there that would be your dream seat? And he also wonders, do you think your success as back-to-back F champs in SCCA pro racing might be something that does open doors for you in the, uh, call it the IndyCar official ladder. Yeah. So on the IndyCar side of it, I think, you know, looking at the field this year, it's been awesome IndyCar season, especially the last two races have been fantastic to watch a lot of a lot going on there. Um, and for me, I'd love to be in like an Andretti car. I think that'd be awesome. Um, being able to be teammates with, like Colton, well, it, I guess we're kind of in the silly season now, so I don't want to say anything. Too Air crazy, quotes, but. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, but being in an Andretti car would be fantastic. They seem to be extremely competitive. Uh, they develop drivers like Oliver and, and all that coming up through the ranks. So, I think that would be a, a very great program for me to be in. And hopefully, you know, winning the F4 and F3 championship has been uh, putting my name on the radar. So, I would, I would hope that something like, like that would be able to elevate my career um, to the next level i guess the uh the only concern is they already have one southern californian driver in colton and they've got uh, granted i think brian was born in michigan but you know he's a socal guy could they (laughs) handle another southern californian in the team it's hard to handle rossi who's northern californian yeah i mean you know he's as a lifelong Californian, I can say I do know uh, some folks like Alexander. He doesn't jump out. Like, if you didn't know where he was from, you could almost pick any state. Uh, <laughs> Colton, 1,000% SoCal. Brian, definitely. You as well. I'm just saying, I love the idea. Just, man, well, we would have almost a uh, a left coast overrun of Andretti Autosport. I'm not sure how... The Pennsylvanians there, the Ohioans <laughs> there. I don't know. Um, there might be a I'm quota system. If you are, that's that's fine with me. Look, I can throw some bows here. I can do whatever you need, man. We can get you in whatever <laughs> seat. You know, I think I can knock out most of them. Wouldn't make. They'd okay. probably invite me back to cover races, but you know, gotta help this his is brother on record, out. Right? 
Oh, 100%. I don't edit okay. any of this crap. I mean, you know, come <laughs> on, man. You know how low the bar is here. So awesome. let's close on this, Dakota. So you've had this really good success. You have, have stepped away from what we would call the recognized ladder system, earned that success. Was there any concern upon that move to, hey, IndyCar people, I'm not going to be on the calendar with you. Don't forget me. Has there been yeah. any feeling or sense of now that you've had success in talking with whomever that they've paid attention, noticed possibly? Because that would be the fear, right? I go sure. away, have the success, and folks go, meh, wasn't in the stuff we're most familiar with. We don't rate it. Curious what that's been like for you. Must have been some sort of consideration. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, making making the move from USF to F4 and 17 was very daunting to me, um, to be completely honest, just because, like you said, um, you're running with the IndyCar series primarily um, in USF 2000, and then coming over to F4 um, when it was still fairly new to the American open wheel scene. Um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, so making that jump was certainly daunting, but what ultimately kept me in F4 and F3 were you know, the series partners, um, Honda, you know, has been fantastic partner to the series. Um, they've been fantastic to me. So, you know, continuing to develop that relationship has been huge. And I'd say the biggest thing is obviously, um, you know, in motor racing, the relationships are huge and, you know, a large portion of that is on the shoulders of the drivers. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to come through programs like team USA with Jeremy Shaw, and he's been incredibly helpful in my career connecting me with the right people and trying to maintain those relationships. So while it has been daunting initially to move over to F4 and F3, um, I've just been fortunate enough to be surrounded by a lot of great people to continue moving up the ranks. And, and hopefully that continues on for many more years to come. Well, amen to that. My young San Diego in San Diegan, <laughs> San Diegan. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm trying to apply the lessons learned uh, from Anchorman. <laughs> Looking forward to what happens for you in the future. I know that uh, not only have we seen you go quickly in motor racing vehicles, which is kind of sort of the goal here, but you also bring a lot of fun and spirit to what you do. And I'm very confident that for those who were able to get a, a general feel of the Dakota Dickerson experience a couple of years ago in USF 2000, I think there are a lot of folks who would enjoy not just seeing your race, but also seeing the the smiles and the fun and just the general spirit you bring to Indy Lights next year hopefully and hopefully moving on up after that to IndyCar so best best to you and look forward to seeing you here soon my man I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share that with your listeners and wishing you the best as well so hopefully I'll see you at a racetrack sometime soon and that was San Diego Sandy well I, I think I know what San Diego translates into but we will we won't go there right now. The fine young man that is Dakota Dickerson. Really looking forward to seeing him, hopefully, in Indy Lights next year. If you haven't had a chance, you can go ahead and check out MarshallPruittPodcast.com. It's our new site that holds everything we've ever done, 600-plus episodes, and all kinds of convenient ways for you to subscribe. Thanks once more to all of our partners, Cooper Tires at Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. And if you're ready for more, the next episode, your Q&A, should punch about a two-hour and 45-minute hole in your workday. So thanks again to everybody who sent in those questions. 
and comments. We also announced a new show partner. It's a fake sponsor, but we announced a new show sponsor in this week's fan Q and a and listener Q and a episode. So let's get going there. And I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt podcast, and I'll speak to you next week.